0: Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths.
1: As Shandra uh, read from Genesis three, that's where we're going to be spending our time. Specifically, three uh, verse five, one verse, uh, about twenty-five ish minutes we're going to spend in there. But before we get into Uh, verse 5, I want to give us a bit of a backdrop. Um, It's important before we look at chapter 3. Chapter 3 is the fall. Before we look at chapter 3, we need to set a backdrop. What are we falling from? And 1 and 2 helps us best understand that. Chapters 1 and 2 are... beautifully crafted uh, it's it's it weaves in and out of poetry to tell the story of God creating Now, if you've been in Christian circles long enough, most of the time when people talk about these chapters, they want to focus in on how old the earth is and, and all of that stuff. And And uh, those are important questions. Uh, and that there's information in there that would lead to valuable discussions. But at the end of the day, the, you would be missing the forest for the trees if you did not realize what the first two chapters are truly about. Because what they're more prominently about is uh, meaning and value and purpose. The first two chapters are about God creating, and it tells us what he created, and more importantly, why he created it. We find identity, purpose, and value. God speaks, and out of his mouth, like a rushing river, everything comes to be. All the stars and the moons, all the planets and all the galaxies, they're all his uh, and by his design. And all of it is beautiful and good and important, and they sing his glory. But his prized possession, the thing that matters most, according to to chapters 1 and 2, are his people. They're Adam and Eve, While he speaks and everything comes in like a rushing river, he stops, leans down into creation, and whispers mankind into being. And then he says that he creates them in his own image. The Latin term is imago Dei. He makes image bearers. This Image bearing quality is incredibly important and valuable in understanding who we are uh, and what God intends for us. The most, com- well, I'm going to read it actually. So the climax is chapter 1, verse 27. You guys, if you have your Bibles with you, tap open your apps and swipe over to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. This is what it says. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God creates image bearers. A lot has been said about what it means to be an image bearer. Normally, you hear things like, we share common attributes with God. Uh, God is a creator and mankind creates. God uh, is a moral God and mankind should be moral. God speaks and mankind speaks. Uh, And there's an element of truth to that. We share common attributes with God. But ultimately, Imago Dei, uh, as you read through the scriptures, it means something much more than simply sharing common attributes. The best definition that I could find that best summarizes it is this. We are created to praise God as representatives of the world and represent God to the world. In other words, when we look out into creation and we see his beauty and his goodness, whether you're staring at the Grand Canyon or you're on the cliffs of Santorini, Greece, or you're holding a new baby in your hand, when you see something that is beautiful that God has created and, and you receive that gift and then you look upwards to the gift giver and you praise and you thank him, you act as a re- representative of the world to God. And it works the other way around. When, when uh, God, God in the New Testament says that he works to reconcile the world to himself through his grace and his kindness and his love and his mercy, And when we act as peacemakers, when we act loving and kind to our neighbors, when we proclaim the gospel through word and deed, we reflect God, we point up towards him, we reflect God through ourselves and into the world. We are his image bearers. You could say we are like mirrors designed to reflect his glory into the world. In addition to that, this Imago Dei, image-bearer thing is where we get the idea of human rights. Before this, before Imago Dei, before image-bearing, this idea of human rights that we take for granted, that we think like, yeah, for sure, no duh, we are all created equally, we are equal in value and worth, and so therefore we deserve the same amount of uh, uh, respect in the world, that's foreign to historic anthropology. Historically speaking, that is very unusual for mankind. Mankind is used to, historically, dealing with bloodlines. Bloodlines is the idea that uh, you are a king or you are a peasant based off of the value of your blood. Right. If you are poor, it's because you, it is in your blood to be poor. And if you are rich, it's because it is in your blood to be rich. We were divided by bloodlines. Are moving forward a little bit more, we were divided by social Darwinianism. Basically, the strong survive and the weak fall behind. We saw that in uh, World War I and Two, Siberian gulags, like the whole, the whole nine yards. So the idea of, of human rights comes from this idea of imago Dei. We are created equally because all of us have dignity and value and worth because God has made us as image bearers. We are separate from the rest of his creation. All of this is found in the first two chapters. Ultimately, you've got a husband and wife in paradise living peacefully and joyfully with no pain and suffering and sorrow. The next time, I would encourage you guys this week to go home and read the first two chapters. Read them over and over again and let them them inform your imagination. Picture the story that is being told. It's a beautiful story. It's also what makes reading chapter three, verse one, the fall so difficult. Because you come to chapter three and you see those words, now the serpent, and it's it's a, it's a transition that you're not really ready for. Like when you read now the serpent, you're like, no, I'm, I'm not ready for that. I'm enjoying this idea of paradise. Uh, but there it is, now the serpent. Now the fall. Now sin and death and deceit. Now wickedness and war and strife and hatred. Now the world we know today. It's a sign that bad news is coming. Let's focus on uh, verse 5. Here's what I want you to do as I read this. Remember, God created Adam and Eve to be uh, image bearers, to be like God. Let's focus in on what the serpent promises to Eve in his lie to get her to eat the fruit. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil you will be like God Adam and Eve were already like God they were image bearers of God the the serpent promised to them something that he couldn't offer even more so he promised something that something that they already had they were image bearers of the invisible God they were like God far more than the serpent could ever imagine Yet, when they started looking into creation, to the serpent, and at the apple for their identity, for their purpose, for meaning and value, they got confused. They lost sight of who they are and who God created them to be. If it's true that we are mirrors, then in the fall we broke. And now we're more like broken shards of glass reflecting anything that passes us by. This fall, this loss of identity, it leaves us uh, asking questions, wanting to know where our value and worth are. We're, we are in an identity crisis. Our value and meaning is lost to us, and we grab a hold of anything that passes us by that promises to give us value. The result is that we are being crushed over and over again, like a fallen mirror in a busy street corner. Being image bearers, being like mirrors means we are imitators. We imitate. We are in a constant state of reflecting and acting like something else. And we find value and worth and identity in that. Now... This is like the thing that our parents used to tell us all the time. You you act like, you know, your friends, you're going to act like them. I have this distinct memory that my grandma, I was like 14 years old, and she was upset with me, and she's like, all you and your friends, all you guys act like each other. And like prideful Oscar, I remember my response to her was, no, Nana, they act like me. (laughs) Like Just to give you, if you ever want to know what I was like as a teenager, (laughs) nothing's changed really. (laughs) We, but it's true. Like, we, we think too highly of ourselves if we think we're not influenced by the people around us. We're designed to be imitators of God. And the problem is that we will find value and worth in anything. We, found vi- we will find value and worth in the things that we do, in our work, in our status as being single or being married, as being parents or grandparents, as being graduates, We'll find value and worth in our accomplishments. I'm a, I'm not a MMA fan per se, but I, I know who Ronda Rousey is. Specifically, I remember hearing an interview after she lost a fight. For those of you who don't know she, who she is, she's she was pretty epic. She was like 12 and 0. She was just knocking people out like crazy. And then she loses and she went into a state of depression. And in an interview, this is her quote talking about uh, her state of depression after losing the fight. I was literally sitting there and thinking about killing myself. And at that exact second, I'm like, I am nothing. What do I do anymore? And no one gives a junk about me anymore without this title. Do you hear the identity crisis? Do you see, do you hear where her value and worth was? Now, if you, later on in that same interview, she mentions that what pulled her out of her of her uh, depression was that she, she realized that she wanted to become a mom. But if you think about it, ultimately, she just shifted one false identity for another because at the end of the day, motherhood can let you down. But we all do this. We all find value and purpose in the things that people uh, say about us, and the things that we want to say about ourselves. We find value and purpose in the tribes that we belong to whether you're a conservative or a liberal, whether you're a vegan or uh, you go to the gym, you belong to a specific kind of tribal gym. Like, we find value and purpose in the tribes that we belong to. We find value and purpose in the things that we own. This is called consumerism. Every single one of us uh, are at the very least tempted by this. Admittedly, very few people purchase items to to feel better about themselves or to think to themselves, like, if I own this, I will be more valuable or worthy. People will appreciate me more. But it's a slow bleed. If we're not careful, the things that we own can quickly own us. The whole idea of advertising is based off of this. This is actually a quote from one of the guys who's uh, the leading marketers and branders out there in the world. And look at how he's playing with our identity issue here. And this guy, he's worked for, I mean, like every single one of us in this room, I guarantee you, owns a brand that he is represented at one point in time. Here's Here's his quote. We need people to identify with our products. The ownership of the brand has switched from the producer saying, this is my product, to the consumer saying, this is my identity. As our society becomes more consumeristic... So are the ways that we make meaning and create identity. We might originally, years ago, have created a sense of identity through nationhood or through belonging to a particular church. Nowadays, it can be made through what brand you're particularly committed to. They're, they're playing the game with us and, and getting us to, to think that we will be more valuable or worthy by the things that we buy or the things that we own. Now, there's two possible solutions to our identity crisis. And one of them is what sociologists would call expressive individualism. Timothy Keller identify or defines expressive individualism like this. Identity comes through self-expression, through discovering one's most authentic desires, and being free to be one's most authentic self. This is, we've all heard this gospel before. This is the follow your heart, believe in yourself, you be you, catechism of our culture. You are the creators of your own identity, and you are free and even obligated to be yourself and to do whatever makes you feel good, no matter what anybody says about yourself. This is... Uh, this is a part of our culture it 's in the books, in the movies uh, and in the shows that we watch it 's in the shows that we watch and it 's in the shows that our kids watch uh, as a matter of fact my uh, so my daughter has a shirt that says, "Be yourself," and she loves the shirt, and I love her in the shirt and so the other day she 's like, "Dad, you like my shirt and i was like yeah it's it 's cute Let me ask you a question uh, Should you always be yourself and like, Madison, she, she's been my daughter for nine years, her entire life, so she knows where this is going. Uh, I, like, so I sort of torment my children. <laughs> I'm writing a book about parenting, and so I started early, because I figure either way, like, it's either going to be a how-to or a how-not-to, depending on how they turn out. Just kidding, I'm not writing a book. but So I asked her, uh, should we always be ourselves? And she says, uh, I don't know. And I said, well what if being myself means I want to punch you in the face? And she like laughs and she's like, well, no, you shouldn't be yourself. I agree. I was, I was using hyperbole, but the, the point is true nonetheless. Sometimes being ourselves, like I know for me, sometimes being myself means I'm a jerk. Sometimes that's me being myself. Sometimes I'm selfish. That is me being myself. And you, you probably have family member or friends where you're like, I could, I could go with that person not being themselves for a day. Like, be yourself is not, I mean, if you, if you put it in the context of premarital counseling, could you imagine if it was like, look, husband, I just want you to be yourself. I want you, wife, to be yourself. And like, you do you, and you do you, and you shouldn't care what he thinks or what she thinks, and this is going to be fine. That's, like, that's, Recipe for disaster But that's, the, that's what we face right now. Uh, that's one of the responses to what it means to create for yourself, your own identity is you be you. Conversely, the scripture tells us not to be yourself, but to die to yourself. Like in order to love your neighbor, in order for me to be a loving and kind husband and, and father. In order for me to truly find the joy of of, uh, that responsibility, I need to die to myself. In this be yourself, it's the same lie that Eve heard in the garden. If you think about it, define yourself. Be like God. This be yourself mentality leads us into a state of unrest. Kierkegaard a uh, famous philosopher years ago, he predicted that when we started trying to find meaning and worth and value in anything but God, we would culturally find ourselves in a state of spiritual anxiety, of social unrest. And I believe that the consumerism and the expressive individualism is leaving us exactly there, in a state of uncertainty and spiritual anxiety. Here's the good news, though. There is a way of having meaning and value and worth, and it's found in the gospel. And in this way, we don't have to define ourselves. And that's good news because God, our creator, has already defined us. And because he is our creator, he can give us a greater definition and worth and value than we could ever give ourselves. The fact that he has defined us gives us the freedom to go and live out in his glory and goodness. This frees us from having to define ourselves and allows us to simply rest and live in God's finished good work for us. We can all rest knowing we are worthy. We are worthy because he has designed us as being image bearers of himself, Adam and Eve fell in the garden. They lost sight of their value and worth. But thankfully, there is a new Adam, a better Adam, and his name is Jesus. And this Adam was not tempted in the garden, but he was tempted in the wilderness by the same serpent. But instead of bringing about a curse and death, he became a curse and he died for us. And in doing so, he crushes the head of the serpent and redeems and reconciles us. The transition in Genesis 3 is harsh to read. Now the serpent. But there's a better transition. And that transition is found in Ephesians 2, verse 4. I'll read that to us now. But God, being rich in mercy... For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. This is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If we are broken mirrors, laid on the ground, reflecting whatever passes us by, then In order for us to truly understand our image-bearing quality, uh, we need to be reconciled. We need to be put back together. And when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't just suffer. Scripture says, in a mysterious way, he became sin. In some mysterious way, he didn't just receive the punishment. He became sin. He was made wrong so that we could be made right so that we can, once again, understand our value and worth. Don't get me wrong, it's not like being being a Christian gives you more value and worth. What I'm saying is that every human being is equal in value and worth. Uh, Through the cross and through the work of Jesus, do we better understand who we are? That That spiritual anxiety can be put to rest because we feel comfortable knowing that we are sons and daughters of a living God who loves us, who finds us valuable and worthy. Not because of what we do, not because of what we possess, not because of what people say, but simply because he has, in his kindness, decided to create us as image bearers. We were born as sinners and we are reborn, risen up with Christ as new creations, as mirrors representing the world to God and representing God to the world. C.S. Lewis said it like this. We are mirrors whose brightness, if we are bright, is wholly derived from the sun that shines upon us. I would encourage you If you're you're at that state of unrest, of uncertainty, uh, of unable to define yourself, man, lay that burden to rest because God has defined you.
0: Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church there's no .com in that just kx.church thanks again for listening